Welcome to Sports Beat KC, presented by Big O Tires. It's Tuesday, December 10th, and we're on the road, specifically at the University of Missouri's new South End Zone facility, where Mizzou officially welcomed Eli Drinkwitz as its 33rd coach before media, alumni, cheerleaders, and a pep band. There was plenty of pomp with the board of curators, the system president, school chancellor, and athletic director Jim Sterk having their say, but the day was about Drinkwitz. And the coach who had just made the most of his only year as a college head coach, guiding Appalachian State to a 12-1 record and the Sun Belt Conference Championship, was up to the task. Star columnists Vahe Gregorian and Sam Mellinger joined Mizzou beat writer Suichi Tirada in Columbia, along with me, Blair Kirkhoff, to cover the event. We got together to talk about the hire, the process, and what Mizzou football might look like in the Drinkwitz era. You'll hear from up. You'll hear from us, but first, here are some sounds from the occasion. You'll hear from Sterk, Drinkwitz, and former Missouri coach Gary Pinkle, who spoke to the expectations of the program. Years, you know, five, you know, five double-digit wins plus in an eight-year period of time in my not last nine years, and we we've done it, and did it in the Big 12 and did it in the SEC. Is it easy? No, but we we've done it. That's where the bar is now. You can choose to have the bar down at seven, six, and seven games. I don't want it down there, uh, and I don't think I, Missouri fans don't want it down there. Uh, let's go for it, and we know we can do it. Uh, Eli, well, first of all, let's agree on the name before we start talking about the new Missouri football coach. Before we even say his last name, can we agree on his first name? What we're gonna, what's he going to be called? Well, he said it's Eliah 
but my friends call me Eli. And yes. then there's like this awkward yeah. pause. And then he turned around and said, you guys can call me Eli. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think that's verbatim. That, that's yeah, how I that's... took it. But he said it in a kind of halting way. I kept trying to think through, what's he really mean here? Um, but I think we can call him Eli. Yeah, I think Eli. I asked him directly. Call him Eli, yeah. but there, there, we're our, our listeners may not be as interested in this, but stylistically, for our typing purposes, we prefer Eliah as our first reference. Okay, well, let's. So we're going to go with that, right? Yeah, so that's that's where it is now. Okay. I think it's reassuring to them that we think through this stuff that much. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Two extra characters. <laughs> right. So anyway, you're hearing Sam Mellinger, Vahe Gregorian, Suichi Tirada, and me, Blair Kirkhoff. We were all in Columbia to watch Elia Drinkwitz's uh, introductory press conference. Uh, new Missouri football coach, number 33, I believe I heard Mike Kelly yep. say. 33rd uh, football coach replacing Barry Odom, who was fired about a, what nine days ago. And what ensued was a, um, a search for... Uh, for, for the new coach, and it took a couple of twists and turns, as Suichi is going to tell us here in a moment. But let's let's talk about the press conference itself. The the um, the question we always ask ourselves is how did he win it? Uh, did he did Eli Drinkwitz win the press conference? I thought he had a good day. What do you guys think? I did too. Um, I actually wrote this line in, in in the column that I wrote today. It's like, if if you're not capable of winning a press conference, you're probably never going to get a job that gets a press conference. Uh, but that said, um, I thought he presented himself, you know, like a, a coach's magic trick. Part of it is is coming across super confident because you're in charge of a big multi-million dollar thing, um, but you also need to be humble enough to get some buy-in from people who are already here on the ground and, and have had more invested in that than, than you have. And I thought he pulled that off terrifically. I agree, I, and I thought that it, you could look back at, at some little cues here and there of how he did that, but, but sort of the, the sweeping message was, I need you, I, you know, but I also know what I'm doing. I mean, I, yeah. he actually used that term. That's well put. Um, which was kind of kind of an interesting moment, right? He was being asked about, uh, it sort of came out of the question being asked, essentially what makes him ready to think he can coach in the SEC, and he reminded us that he already had, albeit as a, you know, uh, different tier of authority, um, but but then he got into his relationship with Gus and and uh, and I think said Gus knows what he do, what he's doing and so do I. I think he had a lot of quips and he, he had some he had some like almost prepared answers for questions yeah. that he anticipated. The, the, you know, it didn't like it's not like he had to think about him. He he really had a like when some for instance when someone asked him about. Uh, you know, being a college coach for the first time, it's the easiest thing in the world. You know, it was an offensive or the quality, I mean, control. quality control coach for Auburn that went 14 and 0 yeah. and won the national championship. This stuff is easy. So that was a nice answer. And he had a few like that, just some, just some funny answers. One of the quick aside to that point, because it, it riffs right off what you're saying, he, it did seem that it came easily to him in what he was saying, but also it seemed that he understood his audience a little bit. Um, he knew to say Missouri and Missouri. And from Mizzou, he knew to sort of talk about things that are a little bit of, you know, I think burrs and people's saddles here, right? He, I think he he kissed on discipline and special teams. A special teams thing, I think we were all struck by, of all <laughs> things, his special teams answer, how thorough he's going to be about that, how much he cares about it. But I, I think I think he had studied the terrain enough to know his audience. Yep. 
All right, Suichi, so you, you covered this thing from uh, the moment that uh, as you were driving back from Arkansas that Saturday morning, <laughs> and, uh, and Barry Odom got the word, and soon afterwards you got the word that uh, Barry Odom had been fired. Take us through the search process and what you learned about it uh, You know, today. Always at a, at a press conference like this, there were some revelations about how the search went, and you know, who met who, when, that sort of thing. What, what, did, what did you find out today? Yeah, I think the first thing and the main thing that I would take away from this, from the coaching search, is that it, this pretty much all went down starting Saturday, right? I mean, Jim, Jim Stark mentioned it. Um, Eli mentioned it, as they're calling him Eli. They mentioned that this all went down in the, in the hours after the Sunbelt uh, Conference Championship, meaning that what, what was kind of the first week for, I think, and obviously we saw what happened Stirk had a list, curators, all those details we've reported on, but that's the biggest thing I'm taking away from it, was that it, it, it went by so quickly, even though it took eight days. But realistically, this all happened within like a 24, 48-hour window. So that was kind of interesting. I mean, you're right. I mean, it, it was really... Um, I think one of the things we learned today is that Eli did not become a um, move to the front of the list or was even part of the list until late in the process. I don't know what that says about the process, um, but let me let me before we address that, let me impart a little uh, uh, little local knowledge here. They met at the Hampton Inn in North Wilkesboro, North Carolina, on <laughs> on Saturday night. I've been to that Hampton Inn, in North oh, wow. Wilkesboro. <laughs> yeah, it's a relatively new one, but I've I've been there, and it's about forty five minutes from Boone, where Appalachian State is, down Highway two twenty. Uh, and why do you know this, Blair? I, I do know this uh, because I've made that drive many times uh, as a student of Appalachian State. Oh, look at that. Even even a graduate. <laughs> I, I wasn't just a student. I've done graduated from that university. <laughs> yeah, I do think we take that granted. We granted sometimes. So, look, I, so I know like, enough about Blair to know that where he went to school, but, but I've always known to pronounce it Appalachian State ever since Blair had a little run-in with Danny Nee. Uh, <laughs> former Nebraska basketball coach Danny Nee called it Appalachian. Yes, Ooh, and Blair that's... gently corrected him. Yeah, <laughs> but I digress. Sorry. Yeah. It's a... <laughs> so, but don't you guys? Isn't that what you kind of find out today? That it sort of, it kind of came together late in the process. If what if we got today was to be taken at face value, which I you know, basically believe it was, there was no significant engagement or any engagement at all before whatever. Uh, took place to get that arranged Saturday night. And I think that was late. Um, you know, and they had that game Saturday, and Eli made it clear that he was trying to, you know, keep everything in the hands of his agent or whoever's doing the work. I I guess his agent is, uh, is his agent Jimmy Sexton? I don't know that. Well, I, I, I believe so. I don't, we'll, I don't we'll have to look that, that up. And I, I don't mean to misspeak. Uh, I just do. Um, <laughs> but... Um, but it sounded as if there had been no reason for him to think he was really a contender until the contact that led to Saturday night's specific contact. Now, I don't know if that could have occurred in some way Friday between, with a go-between or if it was all, hey, uh, we're, we're going to be in town. Uh, do you mind not going to your daughter's performance of the Nutcracker and <laughs> meeting up with us? So um, to Soichi's so point, amazingly compressed time frame on what, what happened to, to land him in the end. To, to the extent that we, I don't think he was even on the radar screen until 48 hours before you know, the, the, the uh, Sunbelt Conference Championship game. Well, he was on Blair Kirkhoff's radar screen when you did the first Hell list. yeah, he was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah potential yeah, candidates. Yeah, as a potential candidate. You know how that goes. You uh, As soon as um, 
you know, within a couple hours after um, after Odom was fired, you you put together a list of people who you think might be interested, might, might uh, Missouri would have a chance to get. You know, it didn't include Urban Meyer, for instance. Um, <laughs> Some Missouri fans wanted that, of course. Yeah, um, but but look, I, I had heard. Of, I actually thought he was going to be a, a strong candidate at Arkansas, and for obvious reasons. Yeah. Was, he was. He's from Norman, Oklahoma, originally, but grew up in Arkansas. Went to Arkansas. Tech, coached at Arkansas State, uh, Springdale High under Gus Malzahn. There's a much stronger Arkansas connection. And one thing I did hear today is that Arkansas would love to have had him. Um, and, uh, and that didn't work out. And I, you know, I, I don't know the extent of the contact between Arkansas and Trinkwitz, but uh, they were really interested. To that point, I mean, after the Sunbelt title game, one drink. Eli was being asked these questions. <laughs> I don't want to say his last name yet. Um, but he, he was asked specifically about the Arkansas opening, which I thought was interesting because nobody was asking him about the Missouri opening yet. And then all of a sudden, Missouri kind of swoops in, and then all of a sudden, Arkansas has a new head coach, and Sam Pittman from Georgia. So everything moved kind of fast. I think all indications pointed that Eli was headed to Arkansas, and then all of a sudden, like I said, Missouri kind of swept in and there. It'd be interesting. I don't, I don't know if we'll have the chance to do this, but I, I suspect we, we would like to try to keep reporting on this to get a real uh, lasered-in diagnosis of 24 hours that changed the whole search. Sort of the, the TikTok you know, of the... From, yeah. yeah, and I, don't, I can't remember if we've said this on here or just discussed among ourselves, but, you know, sort of starting with a reset on Friday when uh, it, it was either then that it became public or then that it, that it already had already happened that... The curators had, um, one way or another, uh, differed with with what they thought Missouri ought to be doing in in the form of what Jim Stark was presenting to them, which kind of surprised me. I asked Jim uh, today about the uh, the index card we think all athletic directors have with a list of potential candidates on there. They always, that they always keep with them, and he, he sort of uh, danced around the answer a little bit. But you know, he said, "Sure, we, they know, and they work in concert with you know with agents with." search firms, um, but I, I did get a sense that the fact that, you know, the Drinkwitz came in so late in the process that he just wasn't, you know, he, Missouri wasn't considering him the day in the days after firing Barry Odom. At one point in the breakout, so after, after the formal, you know, at the table part of the, the press conference, and at one point in the breakout, Jim Sterk, you know, gave a nod toward uh, Nick Jost and said, like, you know, basically gave Nick credit and I don't know Nick's exact title here at the athletic department. Deputy sort Athletic of. Director of Communications, yeah. I believe. But he's a deputy AD. Yeah, and, and he's his influence is, is obviously you know, extended past those boundaries, but you know, gave Nick credit for, you know, sort of I kind of identifying being the first one on Eli well, second right. after after Blair Kirkhoff. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. yeah. All right. Hey, let's let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the type of job that uh, Eli Drinkwitz is walking into, and what the potential, what the upside is for Missouri football. I'll tell you what, Suichi Toronto wants to know. That's for sure. We'll be right back. <laughs> 
When it comes to saving you money on tires, nobody does it better than Big O Tires. Like saving you up to $120 on select sets of Goodyear, Yokohama, Pirelli, and Continental tires now through November 3rd. That's $70 off instantly, plus up to $50 back by mail-in rebate when you purchase using your Big O Tires card. Hurry into Big O Tires and see how much you can save. Big O Tires, the team you trust. For the location nearest you, go to BigOtires.com. We're back with Sam Melliger, Vahe Gregorian, and Suichi Tirada. I'm Blair Kirkhoff, and we're talking about the Missouri football coaching introductory press conference where Eli Drinkwitz was uh, uh, was unveiled to the public. Uh, I, always, I always love these things. Missouri does them well. We've been here for a few of them, right? It's the cheerleaders. It's the pep band. It's the alumni. It's family. It's friends. They make a big deal out of this. They do, it, but it was a little funny start um, because – it, it almost appeared that Eli had taken a wrong turn trying to come into the press conference. Yeah. The, the, the camera picked him up. Yeah. All, the, all those forces were in there, Blair. And you're kind of thinking, well, right now we should be walking in. And then then the cameras got him out on the field. <laughs> and he's kind of looking around. And, and people I think sort a cameraman had to point him yeah, in the right yeah. direction. People were kind of running in the background. It just just seemed a little 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 off timing. Like We were here for a football game not long ago, or maybe it was somewhere else where the uh, flyover came in like like thirty seconds le- early, like during the middle of the anthem. It had a little of that that just not quite synced up feeling. Um, but but the other part that did strike me early, it was a little flat early. Mm-hmm. I thought it wasn't it wasn't a great rousing uh, hand form. I think it was polite applause early. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of funny at these things though because we've got a mixture of those of us in the press. And it was a pretty big contingent today from all over the state. And, and a fair amount of fans. The moment that I thought really fell flat was uh, unfortunate when, uh, when uh, I can't remember if it was President Moon Choi or, or uh, Chancellor Alexander Cartwright was, oh, I think it was Moon Choi, was trying to get the players to applaud for him. Like, <laughs> and here's our coach. And players, what do you think? I think they weren't ready for it. Right. And I think there was kind of like a... And, and kind of, they were kind of in the, not in the distance, but off to one side. Yeah. And then fans jumped in and kind of, you know... <laughs> Pick them up. <laughs> I also thought, since we're talking about, since we're breaking down the uh, the room, <laughs> that having the pep man all the way over on one side kind of got lost a little bit. You, know, you had to have them sort in the middle somewhere, middle front or middle back. I, it just was almost echoey in there. With the, yeah, the feng shui was a little off. Right? It's, uh, it's, it's, that said. That, that's, it was, so, so advice to Missouri, memo to Mizzou, don't do this again for another 10, 12 years. And speaking of 10, 12 years, even longer, Gary Pinkle was there today. Yep. Um, and I thought it was symbolic that Moon Choi actually grabbed him and told him to go sit up front because uh, he was just trying to blend in in the back. Yeah. And I just thought, well, how symbolic is this? Here's your, here's your standard for Missouri football yeah. sitting in the front. You know, uh, Eli, this is, what, this is what we want Mizzou to be. And not the beginning of Gary Pinkle, and not the last year, but those eight years in the middle where they won um, double-digit games in five of the eight years, appeared in four conference championship games, two in the Big 12 and two in the SEC. So to me the question is, is it possible to regain that? Can Missouri be that? I mean, they can because it hasn't been that long, right? Um, but I think how, it's, and, and how soon can it be? I yeah, I think it's a I think it's a difficult job. Uh, the Mizzou football coach right now, I, I think whoever took that job 
it is it is a difficult thing to succeed with. I mean, they they just fired uh, an alum, a true son that won enough. I don't know if we, can we say qualified for a bowl. Won enough games to qualify for a bowl. Um, you know, for the third time in four years, by the way. Third yeah. straight. Third straight. Yeah. Third straight. Yeah. Yep, three years in a row. So. Um, you're you're in the SEC. You are I don't know exactly, but they're they're certainly bottom half in the SEC in terms of revenue, uh, you know, for the program. It's uh, it, it's a difficult. I think it's a difficult job to succeed with. That said, he is exactly the kind of coach that I think can succeed here. Young, innovative, offense, energetic, you know, full of ideas and execution. By <laughs> uh, but he's exactly. Um, you know, I was thinking of the guy, and we talked about this on this fine <laughs> podcast program before, uh, you know, that, that Joe Brady was sort of that, that profile of the kind of coach that I thought might be able to work here. Well, Eli Drinkwitz is basically that profile. He's just the head coach of a smaller <laughs> d- Division One or FBS program, and, and Joe Brady is the assistant at probably the, you know, Number one program right now. Right, so it, it's, I, I love the profile, but it is a difficult. Pro, it, it's a difficult job for sure. Listen, he's thirty six. Yeah, and one year of head coaching experience. He is young. Yeah, and I think it's says Suichi, <laughs> who, who probably <laughs> proclaimed a couple of days ago that he's been here longer than. <laughs> I am very proud of that. I, I bet though, with all the PR stuff, and we mentioned this before with the Missoula and everything, he probably knows a little bit more about Missouri already than me. But it's slowly coming to me. Um, but yeah, I think the big thing here is that it's going to be weird watching that office next year because mm-hmm. for the past for the two months that I've been here, I listened to Barry Odom speak a lot about these very kind of archaic offensive principles, right, in terms of establishing the run, you know, execution, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now you're bringing in a guy who is, yeah, quarterback-centric, blah, 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 no huddle offense, they're going to go spread a lot. It's going to be a huge transition, I think, just with the personnel and everything. I mean, that's the type of offense you kind of have to recruit your own guys. I think defensively we don't know yet who's going to be the coordinator, but that, that'll probably likely stay the same, especially with the success. But offensively this is going to be a huge transition next year. Um, hopefully for the better. I mean, I, I watched some bad Missouri football games. That shot out of Georgia was rough, so here we are. Yeah, you got here just in time for, um, <laughs> you know, for, for Missouri. You did see a victory right at the end. Yes, at uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. Yeah. yeah. Which, which I, drove, I drove there on Thanksgiving, and my parents were very confused about that. But <laughs> it's the gig. Has not seen a victory good enough for the coach to not be fired. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That'll, that'll come next year. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Vahe? Is this a program that can get to pinkleish, the pinkle level? You know, I think we've we've kind of talked about a few times again in this in this fine podcast we produce uh, that you run, Blair. Is um, you know the notion of this being what's the baseline for this program within the context of the SEC? And so you hope the baseline is semi perennial seven and five, eight and four ish, with a chance to peak. Um, what we don't really know in a, a long-term setting way in the SEC is that chance to peak part. Because you can make a case that the 13 and 14 teams were still vestiges of the Big 12, at a, at, at, you know, where they had grown to a certain level through the Big 12 as opposed to sprouting up through the SEC. So that, right. that's the part that, that you know we can't really have a vision of. But it, as Eli said today, I mean, it has shown you that the path has been there. Um, I just, I think that the jury's out on that, and I, and and thus the jury's also out on the question of what will what will be what will feel right to the Missouri fan, 
what would feel right to the people who decide to keep them in jobs or not. I mean, certainly Jim Sterk will be more invested in the long-term success of Eli than, than he was in Barry. I don't, and I'm certainly not implying that, that he, you know, didn't support Barry, didn't help Barry, but I don't know that he was passionate about this has got to work for Barry, he's my guy. For sure. No, that's when, when, when you're working for a guy that, that didn't hire you, I think that's the prevailing attitude. Yeah. Um, I like I liked what I heard about him. Uh, he, he seems to understand the recruiting geography, right? Talked about Texas, and that's important. When, when Missouri was building in the Big 12 under Gary, um, they, were, they were snagging guys out of Texas. Now, look, they, they could always tell these recruits that we're going to play in Texas twice a year or so. They don't have that anymore in the SEC. Uh, but I, I do think Texas should remain a, an important recruiting base for Mizzou. Uh, of course, I don't know how many, how many press conferences I've been here over the years listening to coaches talking about the, you know, locking down the state. That's standard stuff. At least you said it. You did say it. <laughs> it didn't dismiss it. Didn't dis- oh, no, no, we, we, don't, don't, we don't need the Kansas City. We don't think we need anything kids. out of here at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, what's interesting also about Gary's recruiting, though, this, this sort of remained a signature of Gary's recruiting, even when they were getting the Doriel Green-Beckham or the Blaine Gabbard, who was highly recruited. Those were Springfield and St. Louis. Those were guys where they were a little bit out of the scope of what Missouri was winning with. I mean, they were winning with the two- and three-star guy they, they really thought and knew they could develop. They were winning with the Texas reject, like Chase Daniel. Was Sean Weatherspoon. And Sean Weatherspoon's the guy who really comes to mind. He's... Sort of the uh, the very profile of that. Um, I don't. I what I can't remember with Sean is where he was. Uh, what one of the places he got offered scholarships to, but I think they were late and not not quite. Um, the I just remember he was, might have expected. he was he was a two two star yeah. kid. Yeah. That Texas or none of the Big Twelve schools in Texas recruited. Yeah. So you know, development's part of the deal too, and um, you get the feeling he he he'll be able to. Um, you know, make for a charismatic presence in a in a in a room, um, and I guess we're going to learn a little bit a little bit about that just in the next few days with the early recruiting uh, deadline upon us. Yeah, that's December eighteenth through the twenty. So that'll be another whole press conference where Eli will have to win again. Especially, <laughs> and he he mentioned this too that it is very much like speed dating at this point because he's going to have a, a few Missouri recruits or commits as of now, and some who have decommitted have said that they're going on an official visit this weekend. So. That'll be huge for Missouri in terms of being able to have guys. I think before Barry was fired, they had 18 guys. I think that's down to around 13 to 14. Yeah, 13 or 14. If they can get it up to maybe 17 to 18, grab those four stars who may be decommitted, like, that'll be a big step in showing what Eli can do. But we just don't know yet. He's only had one year of head coaching experience. He made a, He got specific with one of the numbers on the recruiting sanctions. I mean, he made he made a point of calling it 81 scholarships. For next so, year. So they'll be down year. four next year is how I heard that. Is mm-hmm. that – is that your understanding? Yeah, so I yeah. believe it was like whatever the percentage was. It was like 4.25, so that probably rounds down to 81, yep. So there's, there has been some activity on social media about with commitments. Um, some saying they're reopening their recruiting. Others have said they've kind of recommitted to Mizzou. Where, where, kind of where does that stand with um, how many have decommitted or 
know what the number is? I so it was, I thought it was four that you last wrote. Or? Yeah, so it's a weird thing because some are technically committed, but they're exploring other options, which is not technically a decommitment, but at the same time, you're essentially yeah, dating other people until they get married. <laughs> it's an understanding. We have an understanding. It's funny, too, because on Twitter, you can check who they followed last. So you'll see some of these recruits are following you know, coaches from like Big Ten, you know, Big 12, and you're just kind of like, okay. What's going on here? I see what you're doing. So I can't it, – it, it, it'll be difficult to nail down a specific number, but I believe it's around four to five decommitments. Um, okay. And then who knows, some of them are coming back on an official visit. It's kind of a weird time, though, because it's essentially the last weekend before they can sign. So I'm sure other commits who decommitted maybe are going somewhere else. So th- there's a lot to juggle there. Um, obviously, there is the other signing period later on, but that's February, first week of February. So – there's some time, but this this upcoming one on December 18th will be huge, long term and short term, really. Have we? Uh, I know it's only been a you know a couple hours, really, but any any way to gauge what the Missouri fan feels about all this? Or you know, <laughs> I do I do my I do my fun little Twitter gifs or gifs, however you call them. I still don't know. I, I, depending I, on you for the correct pronunciation. Yeah. I say I say gif, but I've also been yelled at. <laughs> I've, I've been yelled at by like 14 year olds so they're even younger than they're like a generation younger than me Man, so. you are so passe oh, these days. I know <laughs> <'Cause> I, <laughs> those young punks that's, that's my thing with Snapchat <laughs> <laughs> my younger brother uses that I don't anymore so <laughs> but um, <laughs> back to the GIF, Twitter GIF thing I like to gauge the reactions of Mizzou fans and I think it was around like a good three quarters were positive I'd say a little a lot of them were maybe a very small portion of it was negative, and then some of it was just like, yeah, we don't know at this point, which is, I think, fair. But I think compared to the names that were kind of re- or kind of leaked out last Thursday, this is a huge step up in terms of not actually knowing. Because if you hire, you know, a Blake Anderson or a Skip Holter, whoever was on that name, you're winning seven to eight games, maybe not even have that peak because you already know who they are. But Eli kind of the trajectory of the program can kind of go anywhere, so it is kind of slow up in the air. It's kind of funny you say that. You just maybe have this thought. How much different would Eli's name be in all this if those other names hadn't been floated out last week? <laughs> maybe there was a certain genius in, in, in the other names. Had. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm joking, but I'm not really. I mean, it's kind of like I think the perception of him changed when that looked like the sort of the core of core of the the, the mm-hmm. search. That's a hell of a point. I like that. You know, it's, <laughs> that's PR one on one. Essentially, I took one PR class. Yeah. So, it's, and all this—that's what I learned. Oh, you got, well, you learned it. So, all this criticism—I mean, maybe we're just all being played. Um, I, I do know this: um, a coach with twelve victories uh, coming in here looks a lot better than a coach with seven you know, with a seven and five record. The only knock is experience, right? The, the only knock is that he's been for a, a head coach for one year and not six or whatever. The only knock is that. Um, no offense, Blair, but you know his one year was at, at, at sun- where? At where? Where was it? I'm just saying Sun Belt School. I'm just saying Sun Belt School. And, uh, Group of five. School. <laughs> yeah. uh, but like, I don't. I, I feel like football is getting younger in a lot of ways, and and maybe I'm biased that um, you know the the Chiefs hired a GM who was 38, 39 years old, and um, you know scouts are younger. I, it just I think that there's a case to be made, and I've, and I've heard football people say this, and they're, they're NFL people, uh, so take it for what you will, but that you know, football is changing so fast that the relevant experience has shrunk from you know, a generation or 20 years down to about 10. And anything beyond 10 years is kind of irrelevant experience, and you have to keep 
relearning. And so from that perspective, you know, inexperience aside, maybe he has exactly the right experience. You know, I, I think that there is some uh, relevancy and, and, and usefulness in um, effectiveness in, in having a background as a high school coach. I think you can relate. You know, I, I, think, I think that that's real. Um, I, I think that, you know, being able to play a little bit differently offensively, um, you know, can give a school, you know, a bottom half in money, you know, kind of program uh, an edge that they wouldn't have if they went traditional. So from, from those points of view, um, you know, I'm not a Missouri grad or whatever, but like, I, I kind of like the hire in those ways. It, it's a big swing, you know, it, it's, it's a big swing. And um, we're, people like us who, who write, you know, like we want big swings, it's good for content, <laughs> right? But even beyond that, I think that that's the kind of thing that, that, that Missouri should be doing. You know, it's funny. I hadn't thought really about it till today. Talked to some people today, but also in you articulating it just now. In a way, you don't necessarily superficially think of this as a big swing. I mean, it's a 36-year-old guy from Appalachian State with one year of head coaching experience. But the fact is, it is bold, yeah. right? And it's 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 a statement that, you know, you think you can get substance from that kind of sizzle, basically. And you, and you think that... Um, Offense, it's offense driven, right? We often see the pendulum swing the other way. We got an offensive guy. I'd say he's probably um, a little more outgoing. Not necessarily, I, I guess you can't really say necessarily yet whether he's more or less charismatic than Barry, but I think he has a little more immediate presence than, than Barry. That's probably fair to say. Um, and so, all that, I mean, I think it, it does make you feel like there, there's potentially something big in this guy. and and maybe you feel less bad about big swing and a miss if it doesn't work out, right? You feel like you'd rather try this than the 52-year-old guy who's 7 and 5 at, and that that's sort of what it's going to be. You know what? Like, here, Here's another way to think about it, I think, is, is that I think Barry Odom was fired as much because people couldn't see. You just talked about 7 and 5, 8 and 4 with a chance to peak. And I think he was fired because people could no longer see that peak as a possibility. And yeah. And and I think the initial, you know, the Skip Holtz, you know, leak or whatever, that was a whole bunch of names that people couldn't see peak. This guy you can see peak. He may fail. You know, he, he right. just may be overwhelmed right. by an SEC job. But I you can imagine how this is going to work. You know, you can you right. can see the path to to a big peak. And I think th that's more than anything. I think that that that's what Missouri needs right now. Go ahead. That kind of reminds me, just not to make comparisons here, but that kind of reminds me of P.J. Fleck in terms of the peaks and everything because he had a kind of a few transition years where they weren't that good, and then all of a sudden they're exploding their first 10-win season yeah. since like the 60s or whatever. Yeah. So I, I think that idea of a young coach is definitely one Missouri fans are excited about, but at the same time, you know, like if, the, if, if this goes the other way and this is super successful and he gets three straight 10-win seasons, then I think he's gone. Because this is, at the end of the day, yes, it's an SEC program, but it's still not a blue blood like a Bama or an LSU, where those are destination jobs. So if I think we can worry about that when that happens, <laughs> it'd right. be a great, but, be a great problem for. It, yeah, it would, but, but I, don't, I don't disagree with you. But I think I, I'm reminded more of something that um, Blair said a few months ago. Uh, Blair, Sam, and I spoke at the uh, Kansas City Public Library, and Blair made a point of saying that uh, probably no fan base needs a national championship more than Missouri, 
And we are actually in the, in the 75th anniversary of the uh, baseball national championship. Um, 50 years since the conference championship. No, 75th, 65th. What's, what, 1954? 54. So. 46, 65th, okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to date those guys. Norm, if you're listening. <laughs> Sorry, Norm. Um, Norm Stewart pitched a 13-hitter in that College World Series and got a W, I think, twirled. out of it. Twirled. yeah. I, I can't believe I said, didn't say twirled, which makes me realize I've used that story in front of you too many times. Um, but this is on my mind also because this morning, speaking to the Plaza Club in, in uh, uh, Kansas City before we left to come here, they, they brought that up. And, and I think that goes back to the very point Sam was making. I mean, we might think that the – the, the hoped for norm, the the regular sort of year would be a you know a nice seven and five, eight and four competitive. Maybe if you, you win a game, you shouldn't. Um, but really, the thing that excites anybody about this is it is there ever a possibility you could really do it? You know, it's is it, is it that ridiculous to ask that you could have a chance? And I I think you you articulate this player. Maybe that's what you know was lost with by the end with Barry. Maybe they were going to be steady. But you, this was going. To, this should have been that peak year. It should have been with Kelly Bryant. This, this, was, this was going this was to be that schedule year. Schedule laid out the right way. You know, the, enough the, veterans back. The college football playoff quarterback was here. Um, it seemed there seemed to be enough returning defensively that this could have been the year. It was going to be Missouri or Georgia, and yeah. by the time Missouri and Georgia played, it was um, yeah. it was awful for Mizzou. So. All right, guys, thanks for sticking around. And um, Sam Mellinger, Vahe Gregorian, and Suichi Tirada. Really appreciate it, guys. Um, safe travels back to Kansas City. Except for you, Suichi. I live here. That'll do it for another episode of Sports BKC, the Star's daily sports podcast presented by Big O Tires. Thanks to producer Randy Mason for putting together today's show, and links to the coverage of the day at Mizzou can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, you know we love those rates and reviews. Where you can do that, please do it. It helps. We'll be back on Wednesday for another Sports BKC. Talk to you then.